0: Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One, I'm Ray Canada.
1: And I'm Margot Moss.
0: We're here at Ted's Frost Top on Claiborne and Calhoun in uptown New Orleans. Once a week, Margo and I meet here at Ted's, and we invite a member of New Orleans' restaurant community to join us. And we invite them to bring a friend, a, a plus one. We never know who the plus one is going to be. Sometimes it's a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a fellow restaurant business colleague. So in just a few moments, we're going to be talking with our special guest, and we're very excited to have with us tonight at Midnight Menu Plus One, Alan Shia. This is a confirmed car thief, but he's uh, probably best known, not for that, he's head chef and co-owner of Dominica, and he's on everybody's short list of truly great New Orleans uh, chefs and he was in 2010 he was named by Esquire magazine as uh, one of the top four chefs to watch in the country very very excited to be talking with him can't wait for him to get here but in the meantime um, as we eagerly anticipate our guest Margo I'm wondering how your weekend went what were you up to
1: well I had a pretty good weekend I didn't get to eat out unfortunately but I uh, got to eat in my brother uh, was cooking in his green egg this weekend
0: uh, so the I, green egg yes nice. what do so, you make
1: uh, a nice uh, center-cut pork loin nice. with uh, kind of caramelized, some kind of sweet sauce on it, uh-huh. almost barbecue-esque. And, uh, does he I take
0: ha- over when he does that? He does it all himself, or do you oh, have yeah, to like, yeah. assist in everything? No,
1: I, j- I just drop off my ingredients, and nice. he cooks it up for me, and I pick it
2: up when he's done.
1: <laughs>
0: nice. That's a good brother. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I just had right here a moment ago at Ted's, uh, you, know, we have, you have the special menu that we offer here on Monday nights, and I had... The meatball po boy. And I was realizing when I was eating this, I, I, I didn't get the irony of this. I'm eating a meatball po boy cooked by meatball. It's almost <laughs> like cannibalistic, you know? <laughs> it was really good, though. This is not a big meatball po boy town, but it was, that was a great meatball he, po boy. And he
1: put it on a Vietnamese bun made uh, from uh, Dong Phong. Oh, that's in the, the best. East.
0: Yeah, it's everybody's favorite. I loved it. Yeah. It was good. Well, it's time for a special guest now, Alan Shia. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Well, so you're newlywed, right? I am. Yeah, last March. All right. Well, what's that like? <laughs> I think it's going
3: well. I still fit in my tuxedo, so I'm doing, I think I'm doing good.
1: Now, how did y'all meet?
3: We met at a friend's house at a party about five years ago, and um, I just thought she was the most beautiful girl in the room. Her name is Emily, and, uh, you know, I went and started conversation and ended up sitting on the couch next to her at this party, and, you know, I thought I was doing good, and uh, after that night, I was like, look, you know, I- I'd love to ask you out sometime, and, and then about eight months later, she finally agreed to go out on a date with me. So how many times did you ask her? I, don't, I mean, I did you ask her I once, and even she came remember. back
0: to you eight months later, or no, did you keep like asking I, her I, over the eight months? I,
3: um... She came and ate at the restaurant. I was over at Besh Steak at the time. And right. Like, I sent out all this free food to her and her friends. I was, like, trying to impress them all. And, and then she left, and I didn't hear back from her for, like, um, a month or so. And then we ran into each other, and she was like, oh, you never called me back. And I was like, I never got a message from you. And she goes, "She goes, uh, oh, I sent, a, I sent an email, or it must have gone into your spam file or something. And I was like, oh, uh. this girl wants nothing to do with me. <laughs> but it, lo and behold, we... Um, got together a couple more times and it became true love and five years later we got married
0: five years after you met you got married
3: yep all right yep didn't rush into it no no it took our time she was uh finishing up at a job and wanting to start business school and i was i moved to italy for a year during that five years uh and spent a year in italy preparing to open dominica
0: So were you dating while you were in Italy? Yeah. yeah, So it was a long business. Yeah, about about
3: six months after we started dating and I finally got her to agree to go out with me. I said, okay, I'm moving to Italy for a year. And she was like, okay. And uh, it worked out that she would just come and visit every couple months. And we would just travel for two weeks to a different part of Italy. And so we had some super romantic and and beautiful times together out there. All right.
1: You decided to go to Italy before? Or you knew you were going to be opening up the restaurant? Well, and
3: living in Italy and cooking out there had been a dream of mine all my life, ever since oh. I started cooking. And, uh, and so it's always been kind of on my bucket list of things to do. When I moved to New Orleans in 2003, I started working with John Besh, and I became the chef to cuisine at uh, his steakhouse at Harris. And um, did that for a while. Katrina hit. That slowed things down. Reopened the steakhouse. Got that back up and running. And I finally got to a point where I just said, John, you know, I really want to open this Italian restaurant that I've had a dream of doing for a long time. And he goes, great. Let's do it together. Let's partner up in it. You need to go and move to Italy for a while. And when you come back, we'll, we'll get the construction gun I said great three weeks later I was on a plane and uh, I had a friend set me up at, oh. a, at a restaurant
0: now, now let me ask did, did you pick where what region of Italy you were going to and all that stuff or was that Besh Besh was helping pay for the, the no I know? spent
3: my life savings oh really there. so oh, he just yeah. gave
0: you sort of a leave of absence to go
3: yeah he just told me to oh. get out of dream. And he said get the hell out of my face <laughs> for a year <laughs> So, I had so to figure did it out. All the arranging there. and figuring. Yeah, out and so you go he put me in touch with a who's now a really good friend of mine, Mark Vetri, who has a couple Italian restaurants in Philadelphia, and he's an awesome, awesome chef. And so Mark was able to hook me up at some of the restaurants that he worked at when he lived in Italy uh, ten years ago or so. So I started working Northern Italy at, at a former restaurant that he worked at.
0: Um, and where was that? What part? What in Bergamo.
3: Bergamo, yeah, Northern Italy and Lombardia region. Yeah, okay. About uh, an hour east of uh, Milan. Gotcha, okay. And so uh, started working out there and then made friends and connections out there myself and ended up in Parma, where uh, I lived yeah. the majority of the time, curing meats and. and um, Making pizzas and making pasta. So now you fluent in Italian? I wouldn't say I'm fluent. I probably speak like a like a five year old. Okay. <laughs> I can I can get through. Did you like that when you got there? Or? No, I didn't speak any when I got there. Wow. Uh, and and I by the time I left, I was I was doing good, making it through lots of conversations, wow. and actually able to enjoy having conversations and, and and getting to make friends and stuff out there.
1: Was the experience <laughs> everything you had envisioned, or it was more? way more?
3: It was way wow. more. I, I envisioned before I went out there that I was just going to go and cook some great Italian food and learn how to make some great recipes and experience another culture and you know meet some great people. And what I got from that experience was really a new look at life. It it, it became a life-changing experience for me. And not only did I get to do the things that I envisioned I was going to do, but I also built some amazing relationships out there with the families that I lived with who just last March were back here in New Orleans at my wedding and uh, Um,
0: And I learned... Well, what's the outlook of life that that you learned? Is that what you're going to say?
3: Well, yeah. And and what I'm saying is uh, I learned how to look at food through... A different lens. Not so much about what could I put together to make taste good. I learned to kind of look at food through uh, a combination of history and present and the future. And that means that the Italians have been cooking the same food for hundreds of years in each region. And the reason that they cook those foods are for very special, whether it's religious reasons or family reasons or uh, reasons that have to do with location, ingredients, but and whatever. Everything yeah. means something, huh. and everything has a story to it. And And their kids will be cooking that food. And their grandkids will be cooking that food. And when you think about food and restaurants like that where you know that one day your grandchild will be behind the same stove that you're behind, making the same dishes, it kind of just changes it all. It's not so much about how do I make a really great lasagna. It's how do I honor the traditions and how do I continue the traditions and teach those traditions to the people that I love. So the
0: story's told as the food's being prepared too, huh?
3: Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's just so ingrained in their culture and their life that it's not about food anymore. It's about part of life. Before I moved to Italy, I I didn't really have a grasp on that. Um, And so now, when I cook at Dominica, I really look to make food that has reasons behind it and stories behind it. And and how do you not just make something that sounds good and tastes good, but how do you really honor a region? How do you honor a tradition? How do you um, keep things simple enough to where people can really... Get to know the dish versus just eating it. So, Chef, are, the, are, they, are they are they are the
0: are these stories? Are these other people's stories? Are these Italian stories that you want to tell, or are they local stories? Like
3: they're they're all of the above. They're okay. stories that I was told in Italy. They're stories so of, you're
0: retelling them here because they were captivating to you. Correct. And or, then there's some stories that you that you know locally that you're trying to tell with your food.
3: Well, there were also stories that were created for myself out there of, of my journeys and the, you know restaurants that I would end up in and, oh that's um, great the torta frita that we serve at Dominica is the perfect example let's do that in Emilia Romagna right right outside of Parma yeah um, there are all these like little cottage like these little cottage restaurants called <laughs> Trattoria and um, they serve cured meats and torta frita on Sundays huh. and they eat that with Lambrusco that they drink huh. out of these glass ramekins like they're not even in glass it's like Lambrusco poured in a glass ramekin And so you spend your Sunday afternoons Torta Frida, prosciutto or culatello or copa Eating that, lambrusco and, And that's what everybody there is doing like, everybody in that region is the doing region. that on Sundays. Golly. And so that that's so special. Like, that is right. something that's, you know, instead of like, oh, I'll have the eggs benedict and I'll have the pancakes <laughs> with the bananas. It's like everybody's, like, you know, reliving this tradition every Sunday. And so when I came back to New Orleans and we started thinking about how to put Dominica together and what it was going to be about, you know, I, I knew that it had to be that Sunday experience for me in Italy
0: So you only serve that dish on Sundays, then? No, we serve it every day. Okay.
3: But the restaurant is called Dominica, which means Sunday in Italian. Oh, nice! And it's the day where I really felt like I was making that connection and learning the most about how food and people come (laughs) together and and what it means for those things to come together. And now torta frita and salumi—that is our centerpiece in the restaurant. That salumi Um, case with all the cured meats hanging. Right, right. You know, that's the first thing. That's the first thing people see when they come in, and it's one of our best-selling dishes. All that has to do with. Those Sundays that I spent in Italy and that ah. time, beautiful, where I learned those things, and and that's you know as the restaurant grows, we've been able to kind of make the menu you know a little bit more in depth and, and change the dynamic of it a little bit. We're even adding a lot of Israeli influence to the menu now, which is where my roots are. Uh, you were born originally. in Israel. I was born you? in Israel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where in
0: Israel you're born?
3: In Bat Yam, just just like south that. of Tel Aviv. Okay, so right near on the beach. coast. Yeah, yeah right, on, say, right, the right, coast
0: coast. I've been there. Yeah. I've been to Tel Aviv. I've been to Yeah. Patien,
3: yeah. And, and through the last three years, we've been able to grow this team of just incredibly talented and awesome people like Lisa White, who's our pastry chef, huh. Philip Mariano, who you'll meet in a minute. Uh, oh, you weren't our, supposed
0: to tell us. Who's our sous chef. <laughs> He's That's the mystery guest. Huh? Oh, man. You but gave it away early. he change
3: his name when he
0: shows Cut up. Cut that out. Cut that out, at, uh, engineer. Well, yeah.
1: Let me ask you, uh, <laughs> speaking of tradition, and so was the transition after your experience in Italy and you came back and you were working on your concept and was it did you become more aware of the traditions in New Orleans I mean or was it
3: not at first I mean I had studied the traditions of New Orleans the the five years that I had been here prior to leaving to Italy they didn't necessarily mean as much to me until when I came back from Italy because I kind of understood how region and people and the makeup of the people, where they've come from and how they've immigrated into that area, have affected all that. And you read about it, you hear about it, but I never really felt like I really lived it. So when I came back, um, I was really focused mostly on the Italian foods that I cooked in Italy and kind of my journey through Italy. And the menu really read that way. And through the the last three years, it's evolved into a little bit more of a southern accent to the menu, of whether it's redfish that we have, Locally here, or cooking with soft shell crab or soft shell shrimp in in the in the spring, the little brown soft shell shrimp. We've also incorporated things like collard greens into our menu a time, like braised collard greens and. We find a way to really kind of make those things work. Where things still you would makes, have in Italy,
0: no, no. But it well, soo-
1: sounds like a natural evolution because you're not forcing it onto the menu. It's come in ta- within time. For sure. It's part of your story that you're telling because you, you're here and yeah, longer and, and experiencing things different through a different lens. After your trip, right?
3: Yeah. And I think that the region that we live in, Louisiana, is just as important as Piedmont or Emilia-Romagna or the Beneteau in its own way. You know, it has just as much of a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And so I would be be doing myself and everybody around me, I think, a disservice for for not at least paying attention to that and utilizing some of those great
0: stories and traditions that we have here. Uh, and incorporating that into our menu. Okay, well, I want to hear more about that, but I think it's plus one time, isn't it, Margo?
1: Yes, let's... Uh, well,
0: this is the time where we, we you know, we uh, when we ask a guest, we ask them to bring a plus one. With I have the one and only
3: Philip Mariano, who is our executive sous chef at Dominica and really makes that place tick on a daily basis. All right. Thank you oh, welcome.
0: So much, welcome!
1: Thanks for coming, coming. Phil. Thank you,
3: Thanks and for I told having him me. to wear something sexy, and he shows up in a brown <laughs> sweater.
0: Yeah. Well, wow. I,
1: I hear I have a face for radio, so don't don't worry about <laughs> that brown sweater because nobody will see it.
0: Awesome! Uh, I just want to touch you. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he would like that. <laughs> well, this well this is great. We have our our special guests will bring all different sort of folks. We had a. a restaurant guy who brought a, um, an Irish musician who he performs with. We had our guest last week brought uh, her, her one of her favorite customers. So this is neat. I think it's maybe the first time we've had a guest bring someone that works in the same restaurant with them, which is great. We can talk about Dominica more then. We'll get two yeah. sides of two awesome. perspectives on this great, great institution in New Orleans. I so think this just means you need to get out more and meet other people. <laughs> <laughs> you are right about that. <laughs> so how long have you been at Dominica? Uh, Since we opened, actually.
4: Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Now,
0: were you working for a different best restaurant before that? Is that how they...
4: Well, actually, Shuffalon hired me. Uh, I met with him and interviewed because my grandmother sent me a newspaper clipping that um, he was going to be opening an Italian restaurant in New Orleans. And at the time, I had just graduated culinary school in New York, and she desperately wanted me to move back to New Orleans. So, um, (laughs) I drove in, um, met with Shuffalon. He hired me, but the restaurant wasn't scheduled to open for another... I think two months, he said, he told me, just work at Luke for about a month, get your feet wet with this company, and then, you know, in about a month, we'll open up and get you over at Dominica. And then, uh, I think seven months later, (laughs) I left Luke, and we opened up uh, the restaurant. Construction delays, you know how that goes. So
0: uh, what did you do at Luke in the meantime?
4: I worked on the line, got to know uh, the system, like the way that the company works is kind of streamlined as far as
0: calling out orders and tickets and just... Well, some of our viewers may not know, or some of our listeners may not know, how many, how many best restaurants are there in the city of New Orleans? Nine. Nine now? Nine of them.
3: Okay. Well, not in the city of New Orleans. There's nine total. Right. I was going to say, I think there's, there's right. a couple six, outside. Six yeah. in New Orleans, right. or seven in New Orleans, one in Lacombe, Louisiana, right. and one in San Antonio, Texas.
0: Interesting. So what are some of the other um, best restaurants in the city?
4: Um... We've got the, the, the Best Steakhouse, Restaurant August, um, We're the American sector, yeah, right? <laughs> um, does the soda shop count as a restaurant? That's yeah. its own restaurant. Yeah. I
0: love the soda shop.
4: Uh, there's Luke. Who did I forget? Best oh, shake. Born. Best
0: shake right. I've, I've ever had, I think. Uh-huh.
3: Most artery-clogging breakfast you'll right. ever
0: find. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember I just had the chocolate shake there once, and it was like, you know, it's the, the plainest sort of thing. It was, just a, it, it was nothing uh, ornamental about it at all. Mm. And my wife was drinking she said you got to try this I'm like I'm not in the mood for just a chocolate shake she's like no you really got to try this and it was like it was like the best like chocolate dark chocolate candy bar I ever had like in a liquid form it was just amazing yeah. love that place Me
3: too mm. you can only eat there a certain amount of times before <laughs> you become just <this> morbidly <laughs> obese <though>. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well so I wanted to ask you Philip yes so you went straight from cu- graduating from culinary school your first experience in the wor- working world was at Luke. No. Then?
4: Okay. No, no, no. Actually, well, I, I had worked in restaurants for a while before going to culinary school. Okay. Um, kind of grew up in it. My mom uh, ran a couple restaurants when I was Locally? younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the Garden. Yeah. But the original ones, like. Oh.
1: In the CBD was it? Yeah. In the CBD? Well, actually,
4: where uh, Le Cirque is or the that hotel on? Yeah,
1: the yeah, yeah, Circle. yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, right near it though. It's a mm-hmm. couple blocks.
4: where Well, it is, is now. But she actually had
1: in the
0: lobby
4: place, of right yeah. in the lobby. Yeah. In the lobby of that hotel, which used to be oh, the YMCA, right, 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 at Lee Circle, she Yankees had the first may come back, uh, come again. Right. That's what the uh, <laughs> YMCA
0: stood for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Right, Lee Circle. That's, that's what the awesome. locals say. Yeah, Yankees may come, that's come funny. again.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, I'd worked in several restaurants yeah, right. for a while. My actual first paid job was at the portico, um, oh. making salads and stuff. Believe it or not, they have them there. But
1: uh, <laughs> And when did you decide to go to culinary school? Um,
2: I, I don't
4: know. I guess when I was like 15 or 16, and then I actually did it when I was about 20. But uh, I don't know. I didn't want to get a real job, I guess. So <laughs> I kind of went to fake college at uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi and fished a lot and worked in a sushi credited. bar. Yeah. I, I learned a lot, but... So anyway, then when I graduated, I moved to Italy for about six months. But I spent my life savings, but I didn't have any friends that knew how to get me a job there. So without a visa, I wasn't nearly as lucky as Alon.
0: So you ate more than you cooked, maybe. Huh? Right. Yeah. I ran
4: out of money real quick and then had to come right back. So. Uh-huh. Um,
1: but six months, you probably had some great experiences. Mm-hmm. In six oh, months. I did.
4: Definitely. Definitely. I just couldn't get in any actual kitchens. Uh-huh. So where in Italy did you live? Uh, in Florence. In Florence, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I wanted to ask Chef Alon, do you uh, like mentoring uh, younger chefs and, and folks you know, in your...
3: That's really, I. it's pretty much all that I do now. It, it's My workload has changed from working a station at a restaurant, which up until Dominica, well, really about a year after Dominica was opened, I kind of worked my way off of the line and into more of a mentoring and, and teaching role um, where now I get to work with people like Chef Philip or Chef Lisa who's our pastry chef and we have two other sous chefs, Allison and Joey and I spend my day now just trying to kind of teach them how to run the place and how to make it work without me and I think it's important to do that because as we grow as a team, um Will eventually need those people running that running that show, and and so like Phil has just done an absolutely amazing job of just taking that driver's seat and and just wow. running the show and treating the place like it's his own, and it it's through that that you really understand how to make a place tick. If you're always just doing what somebody tells you to do, you're always just kind of taking orders versus mm. taking initiative and and and. Trying to make things better than they were the day before, mm. and so Phil's just been incredible at that, and he's allowed me to just kind of take that role as a mentor, as a teacher, and just try to teach as much of, of what I know about the business and what customers want, and how to make people happy, right. and uh, how to take care of your employees, and and so now I spend a lot of my time just kind of preaching those that gospel. And uh, I'm sure they're sick of me of, of listening to me <laughs> doing that. <laughs> Though um, I find it now. So you pacing most. around
0: the kitchen most of the time, or are you in an office uh, in the back somewhere a lot no, of I times? Mean, um, or? I
3: spend a lot of time just kind of working with the chefs in the kitchen okay. and making sure that the food's going out just right. And every chance I get, putting a little bird in somebody's ear, saying, huh. "Hey, look, this is you know we should be doing it this way, or this is a better way to do it." Or I've also do, by doing that, have learned so much from them oh. um, because they bring such great ideas to the table that I think half of the time you're like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, oh, that's an awesome idea. How come I haven't thought about it? Real collaboration. Like it's, it's just mm-hmm. and, and so by, by that collaboration, we've been able to get better and better and better. Right.
2: now who
1: did is there someone that stands out for you that did that for you is that how you learned to well for sure John Besh
3: is the, the the main guy that I've learned from in the last um, 10 years uh, and then the, the families that I lived with in Italy were also mm. people like that I, I also worked for chefs in Vegas and in Philadelphia that I, th- I feel like Along every step of the way, I've had somebody like that in my life. Mm. That's really just kind of provided me an opportunity to be who I am. Right. And in the meantime, tried to give me as much of their wisdom and uh, tried to allow me to kind of learn from their mistakes mm. more than learning from my own mistakes. Hmm. And every, every place that I've worked, I've had somebody like that. And, right. and I've been very fortunate to have that. Huh. And now, so how now, old are you?
0: I'm 33. 33, that's what I thought. Yeah, so at 33, you're already... I mean you've arrived, man. You're <laughs> you're running the show at one of the great restaurants in, in the city, one of the great roster restaurants in America. But uh, now I heard you were near do well when you were younger though. At least you had your moments, right? I oh, I, uh, I was
3: a I was a son of a
0: bitch. Yeah, yeah. Now now you stole your mom's car and went to Atlantic City when you were sixteen, I read somewhere. Is that right? I did that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I introduced <laughs> that was you missed that it. Age. Before you got here, I introduced you as a confirmed car thief. A, <laughs> as <well> as
3: a, <laughs> the funny so you know. thing was that my mom <laughs> forgot all about that. Until wow. she read the article. How do you forget oh. about that?" And then she calls me she calls me and she was like, when my did son this turn in his homework and we said, remember it for yeah she said, "When did you steal my car?" I said, Mom, remember you had to come and pick me up in Atlantic City at two o'clock in the morning because the police confiscated it <laughs> And then she was like, "Oh my God, I've totally blocked that that's,
0: out. It's got to be what a good 45 minutes or an hour from Philly, right? An hour and 15 minutes. Hour and 15, yes. I lived in Jersey for a long, long time. Not that it's North Jersey, but uh, yeah. She's wow. so
1: proud of you. She just that kind of mm-hmm. slipped out the
2: back. And so then she
3: said, you're grounded. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, okay. read the article? I was like, great. I get to stay home for a couple weeks? Awesome.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm. So you'd have to spend the night. She was able to bring you home that night huh, at 2 a.m. when she came to get you? She, Yes, she did. That's good. Okay, they did let you go home. That's good.
3: Yeah, they just found me driving aimlessly around Atlantic City at 2 o'clock in the morning with, without a driver's license.
0: Uh, yeah, so and the People's Republic of Jersey, that's, you can get in trouble for that. The cops just have nothing better to do. Yeah, yeah. There's a rule for everything there.
1: <laughs> so did grounding you uh, help or you were still getting in trouble after that?
3: No, she. It was just a few weeks ago that she told me I was grounded. Uh, after she read article. <laughs> See if she grounded you when you were sixteen. I don't think I can count it now. I don't <laughs> think I was groundable at that age. I, I think I pretty much, much just did what we I wanted. We all be
0: thankful to. she didn't ground you when you were sixteen, or you, right. You'd be you'd be a CPA now or something, or well, an insurance you know, adjuster. Not that there's anything I, wrong with that, but no, no, we like you as a chef.
3: But i I was such a <laughs> ass as a, as a kid that when I finally found my passion, which was cooking. Uh, it was. It took my home economics teacher in 10th um, grade yeah. to just grab me by the ear and say, you're going to do this. Right. Like, shut up, sit down, listen to me. I'm taking you from now on, and, and you're just going to do exactly what I say. And she was really the only one that could get me to listen to her. Huh. And when I would get kicked out of my other classes, instead of sending me to detention... They'd send, me to, home they'd send me to Mrs. Tarkov's class to peel onions yeah, yeah, yeah. and slice celery. So
1: what was it about her that peel was onions, uh, s- so impactful on you? She just, she believed She treated in you? me she with
3: um, a level of respect and maturity that nobody else at the time would take the time to do. Huh. And I didn't necessarily deserve it. But she was, she spoke to me like, like an adult, like a friend. Right. Um, and that really got me to, you know... Um, Listened to her, where all my other teachers were were pretty much just wrote me off at the time. She pulled me under her wing and said, "Look, you really have." I took the home economics class because I didn't just like Phil. I didn't want to take real classes when (laughs) when he went to Texas A and M. He didn't want to go to real school. He just wanted to go fishing. Well, I didn't want to go study math or English. I wanted to go like you know hang out with all the cute girls in home ec, and so (laughs) (laughs) that's why I took the class. But. From being there, I would, I just, you know, she saw something in me when I would pick up huh. a knife and slice some onions or when I would come up with a dish. Um, she said, you know, you have a real talent at this. This is huh. something that you're good at. And, again, that was one of the first times that I'd ever heard that in huh. my life. Yeah. Um, and so, so did you go to college from there? Or did you go to I culinary went straight school? Straight to culinary or? school. Went to straight at the age to of eighteen. School. I went right. to Culinary Institute of America. Okay. Oh, wow. And okay. Um, graduated um, with honors right. Right. at the top of my class. Right. Where I barely made it out of high school. Wow. And so it just kind of took that, you know, focus to and, and that passion that I found wow. to get me to, um, you know, to change my life around.
0: Huh.
1: It 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 makes me sad to hear you know that there's not Homac anymore and a lot of other
2: yeah.
1: uh, things like that because really that is I mean your life changed I mean right. it was because mm-hmm. of her but there's not an opportunity as much today for young people to have something that they mm-hmm. uh, can strive for? Well, you know, I
3: think um, it's really up to the teachers. I think it teachers have to, you know, uh, uh, she, she says that one of the most powerful things that I think anybody could say, she said, if, if I can make a difference in one person's life as a teacher, right. then I've accomplished my goal. In right, life. right. Right. And, um, she uses me as that example, but huh. I think any teacher, whether it's a math teacher or a science teacher, so could find could yeah. find somebody find to impact, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of doing it the right way, oh. and, um, so, and so I so think that, it that opp- you were
0: drawn to Homack, and then she happened to be there. or Was it that you thought that she was just somebody as a person who respected you and honored you, and then that got you interested in Homack?
3: No, I had no idea who she was until I started the. Oh, class. Okay, okay. So, so that's just I just took the Homack to get out of, you know. Using a calculator. I
0: mean, I'm just wondering if she had been a math teacher and treated you that way. Maybe you'd be a mathematician now. You know, I don't know.
3: I don't know either. That's (laughs) a great question.
0: Well, Well, is it a time for the book of questions, Margo? Yes,
1: we've come to the point where uh, we do this fun thing. Well, some may say it's fun. You may not say it's fun after we do it. But we have this book of questions that uh, you're probably too young maybe you are too it was popular in the 80s he's
3: like 30 or something like that
1: okay (laughs) so uh, but it is we have the guests pick a number between one and 217 and you have to answer the question even even if it's goofy or um lie to us
0: if you don't want to give us the correct answer but you gotta you gotta answer this is where you're gonna show me up once again phil yeah no he's gonna get a different (laughs) question
1: Okay, so Phil, Phil, let me, yes, let's,
4: between one and two hundred and, seventeen, all right, let's go with seventy-five, no,
3: I was going to pick that number,
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay, number seventy-five, after a medical examination, your doctor calls and gravely says you have a rare lymphatic cancer and only a few months to live. Five days later, she informs you that the lab's tests were mislabeled. You're perfectly healthy. Forced for a moment to look death in the face, you have been allowed to turn and go on. This is long, sorry. (laughs) During those difficult days, you would certainly have gained some insights about yourself. (coughs) Do you think they would be worth the pain, the insight in those five days
2: do
4: I think that the insight that I would have gotten in five days would have been worth the pain and agony of thinking <laughs> I was going to die? Yes. Meaning the truth about yourself. Right. Was it worth living? Oh man, that's a tough question. I don't uh, Yeah, yeah, I think I think definitely. I can't imagine what I would learn about myself. That's kind of something you gotta go through.
0: But uh Maybe you kill all your enemies, thinking you're going (laughs) to die anyway. I'm sure my credit would be wrecked after (laughs) those five days. Max out your credit cards.
4: (laughs) Jeez. Is that why your neighbors keep calling, asking
3: (laughs) where their cats are? (laughs) Uh,
4: But yeah, Yeah, I I think you could gain a lot from looking death in the face, Hmm. for sure. Okay. Man, that thing's deep. Okay, mm, yeah. so
1: not not all of them are that. <laughs> deep, let's lighten but, it up a little bit. Thank you. Well, let's see. Okay, what's your favorite number between one and two hundred seventeen, Chef? Let's Juan? do seven. Seven. Did you get married on the seventh?
4: Are you thinking they start no. off easy as you read
1: them? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, so. shorter. <laughs> do you think that the world will be a better or worse place a hundred years from now?
3: Oh, that's a really hard question. Well, now you're going to get me into politics. <laughs> yeah, I would go for police. You know, I would say that I think the world would be in a in a, in a better place, and I, and I hope that it would be. And, and the the reason that I say that is because I feel like we've reached a point in so many parts of the world that are kind of at their breaking point, whether it's the Arab Spring or whether it's the um, all of the changes that are going on in America with healthcare and and um, I feel like we've got to kind of eventually just reach a point where we can only get better where we've where we've learned so much from our mistakes that we're only going to grow to a better place and um, and I think that there's a lot of people out there that are really steering the world in that direction that have great intentions and and so I would say a better a better world. And in that time, I'll be gone. So for sure, there'll be <laughs> more opportunity for success in this world. Huh. All
2: right. Okay.
1: Thank you. I, I have a question about... Um, I heard you mention you were born in Israel, and a tradition is important. I want to know in your background, in your story, is uh, your family... Uh, being from Israel, mm-hmm. is that played any uh, part in your upbringing? Was your family uh, religious or had traditions or well, culturally?
2: It
3: totally does. Um, I was four when I moved to Philadelphia with my family, and my dad just kind of really moved us to Philly to make a better life for us as a family. He had a failing business in Israel; he wasn't doing very well out there, and so. He moved, it was um, not long after the Yom Kippur War that he fought in.
0: In 73? Yeah.
3: Yeah, and it was 78 that we moved to, um, or it was, I'm sorry, it was uh, 82 that we moved to uh, Philadelphia. And I was four at the time, and so I was really not understanding what was going on. Though my sister was uh, nine, so she knew everything. About what was happening. And it was a hard time for us as a family. I was entering uh, kindergarten or, el- or nursery school. And I really had, I didn't speak any English. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't oh. know anything about America or what, you know, what to do. And so I had a really hard time as a, as a kid.
1: And you remember it? The, tri- the I remember transition. a lot of
3: different moments mm-hmm. from that time. And so at home, my family continued to practice that Israeli culture of cooking together, spending time together as a family around food, around the kitchen. And so it was at this time where I could really, I really remember those traditions that we kept up. Mm -hmm. And it's played a huge role in, in my life now and what I do, especially in what I cook. Because I think back to the foods that I grew up with, the things that I loved the most, and I try to work that into what I do every day as a chef and, and, and into the foods that I eat. Mm. So, for sure, it had a, an, an impact.
1: So, uh, you're yeah. honoring your family mm. and those things Absolutely. every day in your...
3: Yeah. Our, we have a fried eggplant and tomato and goat cheese sandwich on our lunch menu. Uh, and that comes from a dish that my grandmother made, huh. which was fried eggplant with tomato and cream cheese. And so we grew up like oh. she would just bread eggplant and pan fry it. And you take tomato paste and you kind of saute it with parsley yeah. and olive oil. Uh-huh. And we would take that with cream cheese and, and rub it on white bread and just eat these fried eggplant sandwiches. Oh, wow. And it was just one of the best things I could ever remember as a kid. And so now, because at Dominica, we have to kind of make things a little fancier than, you know, Wonder Bread and Philadelphia <laughs> cream cheese. <laughs> we do uh, whipped goat cheese and oh. arugula and the fried eggplant and that same tomato pesto that my oh. grandmother made. And we serve it on ciabatta bread. And oh, nice. it's one of our best-selling sandwiches. And every time I eat it or see it, I'm reminded of the foods that I Wonderful. was taught as a kid oh. and, and that I love. And,
0: and it comes from
4: my family. Was now, th- Phil, are you, are you Italian? I am. Mm-hmm. So is that
0: your background, both sides? or?
4: Um, no, I've uh, got a little, actually, French Creole from my huh. dad's grandmother huh. um but yeah how about that the same time. question
0: for you about tradition and your family what, what uh how did that impact your development um, as a chef and your what yeah you see you're doing now
4: um uh, i don't know if my mom planned on it but like i said growing up in her restaurants and running around the kitchens um I, I, it just kind of happened i don't think she had any choice in the matter <laughs> whether oh. i was going to be working in restaurants or not it's been the only thing that i've ever liked doing and just I've always been comfortable in a kitchen and hanging out and, um, uh, I don't know. Um, I think one of the big things for me on our menu, we, it's not there anymore, but we do, the, we did a panade veal and that was something that my mom would always cook for us, but she couldn't get veal, so she would just call it panade meat, which, <laughs> <laughs> so it, <laughs> meat. what kind of meat was it? Uh, with pork, she would get pork cutlets <laughs> and pound them out and bread them and fry them and. Um, I was learning like nutria have, or something. No. <laughs> 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 but yeah, she. Uh, I don't know. And, but yeah, just being in in the kitchen was kind of somewhere that I just grew up and was always
0: happy to be. Yeah. You know. So yeah. So you've always like been kind of a broadly Italian genre, though, huh? Because you were like in Creole Italian growing up, and mm-hmm. then you uh, were in Italy for a little bit, and then yeah. now you're in, a, in an Italian sort of context.
4: No, yeah, I've always uh, loved Italian food and I would say most of the restaurants that I've worked in have been Italian, at least the ones that I've stayed and hung out and worked for a while um, have all been Italian restaurants and um, even going to the the CIA in New York where they focus mostly on French techniques and French styles I would always just kind of take the things the cooking techniques which are kind of uh, universal throughout and try to focus more on Italian ingredients and Italian traditions and uh, it's just something, the simplicity of the food is what I love that it doesn't take a whole lot to make something really beautiful whereas most French styles it's it's usually a little overworked and they uh, I don't know just it it feels like it's being forced and trying too hard But
0: Well let me ask you, like at Dominica um, the vision that's been set up uh, I'm, I'm sure it, it, it grows and develops but um, it's it, it, you know it, it seems like there's there's some eclectic sort of you know influences and there's obviously mixing and matching of like local ingredients that you'd never imagine in italy and so forth and you're talking about some of the israeli stuff you grew up with too i guess that influenced it but what are there limits like what what's out of bounds like can you could you just go ahead and do a full-on like chinese dish or something there i mean like you know like what, what how do you know where the boundaries are i mean and who decides that is that is that you or is that is that a conversation you guys have together or well we i
4: um I had to leave town for Hurricane what was it, Isaac, I, I, Isaac. and I was in Dallas, and a friend of mine took us to a, uh, a dumpling restaurant, a Chinese dumpling restaurant, right. and it had these beautiful, diff, you know, they, we got like nine different dumplings, and they were all amazing, and I came back and I was like, oh, I want to do something like that. So I started by making the best dumplings that I could, just in the kitchen to try right. it out, you know, with the beautiful broth and fish sauce, and it was shrimp dumplings, and then we evolved that into a ravioli and brodo.
0: Ah, there you go. Okay. And made that
4: Beautiful. work. And it's it's a wonderful dish. But but that conversation started with, this is a little too Asian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> First Let's born. put some ricotta into it
3: <laughs> and make it a little more Italian. And we did. And now it's really one of our best-selling dishes. And I think yeah. it's one of the best dishes that has ever come to the menu.
0: But the red thread that's running through the whole menu is there's something sort of Italian in every dish, mm-hmm. either in ingredients or in... In
3: well, the, I like to think of it more as there's a story to every dish, okay. And, and, and so, like that shrimp ravioli and brodo right. is really Phil's story okay. coming through onto the menu.
0: But I mean, and the story couldn't be just full on like Japanese. You couldn't just do right, you know, regular straight sushi or something,
2: right? I
3: mean, yeah, I mean, you have to. Yeah, and and that just comes to business where people are coming to Dominica <laughs> because it's an Italian restaurant. Right, you. You can't have them show up and, you know, you're there, like, you know, doing Brazilian churrasco <laughs> or, you know, you got, ki- you know, barbecue, kimchi, you know, short ribs on the, on the table. Right, right. I think, well, actually, we have a Korean cook that works for us. Her name is Jay. She makes incredible kimchi that she'll bring to the restaurant and serve to all the cooks. And some of it is so good. Like family though, meal or something? Yeah. Like that. And some of it is so good that we just put it on the menu and call it pickled vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> and so... And nobody you know, nobody knows. But <laughs> they will now. But it is so <laughs> it's such good food. Yeah. And I think every culture of food kinda you know, the, the Asians have their dumplings, the Italians have their dumplings. It's yeah. you, you go from dumplings to ravioli to um to every culture has something in that way. All in all, we have to stay within this mold of right. of of what people that are coming to Dominica are expecting. Right. And if we get too far out of that, then we kind of lose our identity. Right. That's what I'm asking, right. Yeah. yeah, And then if you're sitting on your couch thinking like, I'm really hungry, I'm really starving, I have a craving for pizza, or I have a craving for pasta, and you show up to Dominica, and all of a sudden, you know, the pizzas are all made out of bagels. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to, you know, all bunch of bagel pizzas. You're going to be like, what the hell is this? You know, and, and so... I want you to show up <laughs> with that craving and get what you're expecting, right. a- and that's and that's why we have to kind of keep keep it real, though we can well, add those stories into it to make it interesting. Well,
0: y- now, now you segue nicely into our next s- feature, actually, because we do a thing at uh, this point in the in the uh, broadcast where we go into shortcuts where we ask people. You want to introduce that topic, Margo?
1: Sure. Well, we that kind of
0: fits with what he was just talking we, about. Too. We
1: ask the guests if they have any. Shortcuts. It's not necessarily you don't have to reveal some deep dark secret that you do in your kitchen, but
2: (laughs) (laughs) but basically
1: to you know maybe educate us a little bit on if there's something that you do or something that you enjoy making that there's some shortcut or something that would save time for. You know, uh, a cheaper a ingredient
0: that people wouldn't expect that actually comes out just as good, and so you can use that, or uh, a, a quicker method of doing something.
1: So that someone um, could make something So lazy people
0: like Margo and I can, <laughs> can uh, start making better food at home. Well, because that we'll sounds never do like a loaded l- question.
4: Phil, why don't you take the lead on that yeah. one? Uh, <laughs> well, I think oh, sure. Throw one thing box, that yeah. makes our kitchen run smooth and easy and do the volume that we do is every single recipe we measure out to the exact gram. So that anybody can walk in huh. and take it. We have gram scales and you just measure everything out and then mix it. You know, do follow the procedure. We were talking about the other day of only hiring drug dealers. <laughs> <laughs> that they just come and weigh all the ingredients yeah. out in grams and the next thing you know. It's all there. And so what we'll do is we'll, we we want to make something and we get a bunch of little containers of all the stuff and we measure what's in it and how much that weighs. And then we just cook, cook from our hearts and just... Do it as if we're doing it like chefs, and then measure whatever's left afterwards, and subtract it, and that becomes our recipe. So we've have all these things for, you know, so maybe One hundred and twenty-nine point three grams of basil and two hundred and thirty-eight grams of, you know. You're not
0: helping me. This sounds like more work. Well, it's more shortcut. work and more work for us. But then when it comes time uh, to
4: replicating it and having anybody just come in and follow the. Oh, recipes, gotcha. Okay. It's all there, and all they have to do is measure it exactly, and there's no guesswork involved, and there's no... It makes things go faster on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Right. Exactly.
0: So, so, you, so you're advocating for uh, very uh, specific recipes then? Exactly. That's what you're saying. Yeah, okay.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So maybe the, the, it could be simplifying and really following right. a something and having, being organized. and, and Oh, sure. That okay. can save someone time in the kitchen. Oh, absolutely! Right. Here's my
0: version book of questions. Pretend like your IQ is 30 points lower. You're more like me, right? All right. And <laughs> <Something> <laughs> and, <will laughs> save and you, and you some have time. You have you have limited ingredients at home. How would you make a? What, what would be a quicker way to make like a homemade pizza than than um than
3: the four day old dough that we use? Yeah, right, <laughs> right, <laughs>
0: exactly. I'm sure it's like incredible the way you guys do it. But what would be a?
2: Hmm.
3: I have a great pizza recipe that can be done day of. There you and it's go. pretty much just flour, water, salt, and yeast. And to take that shortcut that you were just talking about, of our dough at Dominica takes four days before it's actually ready to be used. Wow. And it, it ferments slowly and proofs slowly in the cooler. If you increase that yeast by 300%, you can have the same effect in one day right, right. the flavor wouldn't be there that right. deep rich sourdough flavor that we love in our pizzas that right. takes at four days to develop um you could have a pizza that looks good made that day um with a little bit less of a sour uh richer characteristic in the flavor huh. uh, and you can use it right away so there you go. that's a okay. wonderful
1: shortcut that's go. great thank you <laughs>
4: That's why he's in charge.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I liked his one better. I was going to say my real shortcut I like is I just tell Phil to do it. That way I don't have to do it.
0: And I save all kinds of time doing that. <laughs> yeah, my shortcut is going out to eat. That's all. That's right, that's <laughs> I do. I, we, my family pretty much never eats at home. We pretty much go out to eat every meal. So that's that's mm-hmm. our shortcut.
1: I have one, uh, a question that's kind of maybe out of the blue. But I... Uh, had heard that you went on a trip to Israel with some other chefs. Yeah. And I'd like to know, I'd like you to tell us who those chefs were and what that trip was about and how you got. So it was
3: June of 2011. I, um, took a trip with, uh, John Besch, uh, Jacques Leonardi from Jacques. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. David Slater, who's the executive chef at Emeralds restaurant. Um, And we all went to Israel with Alan Franco, who is the president of the Jewish Federation of New Orleans, and Michael Weil, who is the executive director, Michael Weil, who's the executive director. And um, they took us out along with a a few other people, and we went and cooked for Israeli troops in the northern um, hills of Israel, right on the
0: Syrian border. Like Golan Heights, kind of. In the Golan Heights. Right, right.
3: Yep. And Rosh Pina was the name of the town. And we um, went and met up with a battalion in the hills, cooked dinner for 300 troops that night, and um, just had one of the most moving experiences you could imagine. We cooked Shabbat dinner that same week for the mayor of a town called Rosh Ayan, which is the sister city to New Orleans, Uh, and about 50 other people at a home where we actually, the family that, we were, that hosted us helped us cook, and we had kids peeling vegetables, and huh. we put, on, put together this really great kosher, kosher feast. And then we also cooked another meal. It was supposed to be for 1,000 people. And it, the town of Rosh Ayan, which is just north of Tel Aviv, it's a suburb of Tel Aviv, is made up of kind of modern-day Jews, like the yuppie Jews that commute to work to Tel Aviv in right. the financial district or the right. fashion district every day. And the Yemenite Jews who oh, right. have been in that land for a long time. Right. Um, and the the city is very segregated by this small little uh. creek and this park. We put together a dinner um, with this big festival where we kind of met in that neutral ground, in that park. And we each cooked a thousand portions of food. And so we were expecting the... the n- you know, modern day Israeli Jews and the in the old Yemenite Jews to kind of come together with music and dancing and food to kind of just kind of get to know each other and meet each other a little bit. Ten thousand people showed up to this event. What wow. I swear, <laughs> the entire town, Gosh. almost all of the Yemenite Jews and all of those modern day Israelis all came together, and the mayor was in tears that day. Wow! And he got up and said, "This is the first time that I've seen this." this community really come together in a way like this it's it's never been done that way before it's we've had events where a few people would show up here and there but never have i seen um these two classes of of people get together and dance and sing and eat and really enjoy time together and that what was you know, it? Was,
0: the, was it the food, do you think? Or was the celebrity of the event? Or? I think it was
3: a combination of everything. The, the, the event was very well promoted. It was um, They had to pay for the food, so it wasn't like free by any means. But I think it was just it hit at the right time where people really felt comfortable going. Huh. And who knows what the combination was that actually made it happen. The fact that it did happen and this community came together in a way that was unprecedented... Um, you know, you can't make that kind of stuff up right. and no matter how good your gumbo tastes, <laughs> you know, that doesn't, it, it doesn't do that. And so right. it takes this kind of miracle to make those things happen. Right. And, and when it did happen, it kind of reminds you of how important and how impactful, um, how much of an impact cooking can have right. and food can have to not just only specific people but to entire communities and
0: did you say what kind of uh, food you served at this event what we was did it?
3: all like Louisian- kosher Louisiana food <laughs> kosher, kosher Louisiana yeah. food so we did like a chicken and lamb sausage jambalaya Wow, where there was no pork at all we did uh, like a sea bass kubion now wait you a know.
0: second you didn't cook for 10,000 people though the four of you oh right? no that we ran out pasta. of food really really yeah. fast <laughs> 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 we cooked
3: a thousand portions each <laughs> Wow. And we were we, uh, we were emptied out in the first half hour.
0: Now, did you have a whole bunch of people helping you? You Had a bunch of line people? We or? did. Okay. We had a
3: whole team of okay. cooks and chefs in Russia, Iron that that were there as our support team that helped. Now us they out. were locals, so they they were they were locals, locals there. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Wow.
1: Well, I have to tell you the reason I heard about it is my husband went. Oh, wait, this really? This past summer. Wow. And they were. Telling them about that experience, he, <laughs> he was met, back he, in
0: the same town. Yes, he really. Went, he
1: went back, and wow. um, they the people again, yeah. were still sharing their stories about that experience and how profound it was. And uh, so that that's was, you know, I I had read that y'all went, but I also but I had heard about it, and so it really um, I wanted you to know that, and that people are
3: still. That's exactly what, when you ask, like, what I do every day now, if I if I feel like I'm a mentor, those are the stories that I really try to convey. It's it's how can you really make a difference through your cooking and how can you uh. really make a difference through food, not just in your community but in the world, and it's possible. And I think that experience that we had in Israel really kind of just brought light to that. And, and that's why I, I tell the people that I work with, like, cook with your hearts because it means something and you can reach all levels of people with the food that you do. It doesn't just have to be who's sitting at table 74 at Dominica. Eventually it'll be more than that. And, um, and that's just one of the most important stories I think you can tell about cooking. And that's what I hope that, um, you know, the people that I work with every day can kind of pick up on.
0: Well, we're almost running out of time here. And I had another question for you. I want to s- squeeze in if we can. To, um, I read a little bit about your house. And I'm just always fascinated about houses. Tell us a little bit about where you live. You live in the Bios St. John neighborhood. Yeah. And you live in a historic house. It's a, it's a side hall cottage, I guess. Yeah, it's an and, old, yeah. Um,
3: I think they call it a Charleston style um, shotgun where right. it's a shotgun with a side hall. Right. that's outdoors that you can access every room through the side hall. Right, right. And um, my wife has a great sense of fashion and taste and she like found this house and we went and looked at it and we put an offer on it the same day that we looked at it
0: Wait, we when was, when was that was that right after you got married or right that was
3: bef- right just before that was a, a year before we got married okay okay and um we just love it it's wow. it's not very big at all but it just right. has so much character and we have two dogs that can kind of Run in and out of all those little doors that we have. And our our little puppy, Chechi has learned how to open the doors. So we'll let her out one door and and think that she's outside and she'll really be like in the bed, you know, (laughs) chewing on sticks. And and so like because she finds her way in through one of the other doors. And so we just have this little house that we, we absolutely love. We really um, do. That's a
0: pretty walkable right there. You go to Cafe Degas from there and Lola's yeah, and Santa Fe. Two blocks those from CC's. And, and, oh, there you go. Okay, Three blocks from all those what places. What are your favorite places to eat there?
3: Um, we love going to Cafe Degas on a yeah. Sunday yeah. once in a while. We we go and get coffee at CC's pretty much every day. Yeah, um, We love Swirl, that little wine yeah, yeah. bar right there. Cool. And so, yeah.
0: All right. How about you, Phil? Where do you live? Uh,
4: right now I live on Bank Street. Um right kind of behind Jesuit oh uh, yeah right
0: near uh, Bank Street Bar that's mm-hmm. the first place I ever heard live New Orleans music after the storm oh really TRAF Katrina that was the first place I went there was four people there that night I, l- <laughs> I go back a lot still
1: oh and Crescent Pie and Sauce. oh I love yeah, that, place. Right, yeah. like that place do you like that place
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah Yeah. would
4: you tell us if you didn't like it I would I would <laughs> uh, yeah no I love going there I go there all the time I actually ran yeah. into a, a good friend of mine from elementary school that I hadn't seen in years and years and years oh. running the kitchen there and so I'll go pop in and say hi to him. You know, we saw each other one day when I went in. So we've been able to catch up and.
0: Oh, uh, and it's a quirky pizza place, right, right, right there behind Bank Street. Is mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, A bunch of places like right to it. there. Mm-hmm. It's a good boy place too, I think. Down, uh, down a little bit Bank Street, down the end of Bank Street, I think. No. Really? Is I that Bank know. Street? Banks and I always rob, go to. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking.
3: boy uh, shop on the corner, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's the one. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, I, I always go there. to Parkway whenever I. Yeah. Oh, Parkway's <laughs> great. Yeah, by you, Parkway's closer where you live. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, Well, are we out of time? I think we are. Mm. Ah, I hate that. Well, we'll just have to have you back. Maybe, we, maybe we can get um, you back, Phil, and you can bring a plus one. You, can, well, you can bring Alon again, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Keep trading. Um, but we are out of time, and um, thank you all for coming by. Thank sure. you for having us. <laughs> Our
2: special
1: guests tonight have been. Philip Marino, no, Mariano, Mariano. I am so sorry. (laughs) That sounds very Italian too, Mariano. Mm -hmm. And Chef Alain Shaya, thank you so much for taking the time to to spend with us tonight.
0: Thank you. Thank you. We can. You can now. If you've been listening and you began hungry, you can actually go to Dominica and and, uh, sample some of these things that were. That we talked about tonight, right? Yeah, and don't mm-hmm.
1: y'all have a happy hour? We do. Get, uh
3: Seven days a week from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Okay. Half off all
0: pizzas, wines by the glass. That's crazy. Cocktails and beers. That's insane. Why, I not, why am I not doing that more? Why aren't often? you okay. there right now? Why am I not? <laughs> well, yeah. Even better than that is that is talking to you about it, maybe, I think. But... Um, Wow, okay. Well, there will be a link on our website to that, too, uh, on itsneworleans.com. there will be a link to Dominica. Our show has been recorded live at Ted's Frost Top on Claiborne Avenue in Calhoun in uptown New Orleans. Ted's is open seven days a week serving first-class burgers, beer, and their awesome homemade root beer in a frosty mug. My personal favorite. Midnight Menu Plus One is produced by Mitch Cry with very little help from uh, anyone else besides Margot and me. Mitch Cry is also our technical director. You can get in touch with us here at Midnight Menu Plus One by going to our website, itsneworleans.com. And from there, you can follow us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, sign up for our mailing list. Where, uh, While you're at itsneworleans.com, you can listen to other episodes of Midnight Menu Plus One as well as our other shows, um, Happy Hour, Mindset, True to the Game, and Out to Lunch. If you're listening to this show on iTunes, thank you for subscribing. Maybe you could take a minute to rate and review us. That helps other people finding us. Midnight Menu Plus One is a production of I N O Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. dot So we meet again here at Ted's Frosttop. I'm Ray Kanata,
1: and I'm Margo Moss.
0: Good night. summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40,
3: and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy
0: and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.